Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one that is here on this Sunday morning. And Lord, we're asking that you would help us to dedicate this time to your worship, to your praise, that we would lift up your name. And Lord, rejoice in the fact that if we're saved by the blood of Jesus, one day we will all be in heaven together without sin, without the tempter, and to eternally praise our Savior. Lord, we just ask that you bless each part of this service and be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. We're going to be dismissed to the Children's Church. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings. Chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. And many of you may be familiar with this story. I, I would hope that you would be. And uh, we're going to take some time. A couple weeks ago, we, we spent on the legacy of the little lad. Uh, he was a, There was a little lad that had a lunch, and he gave it to Jesus. And here in this passage, we have a little maid or a young girl. And uh, she did not have a lunch to give to Jesus, but she gave what she had. And oftentimes... Um, in dealing with people and, and their lives and what's going to happen, the question is asked, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, if you're 17 years old and you hear that question, that means one thing. If you're 45 and you hear that same question, that means something else now, doesn't it? Uh, that's a little scary. And, but oftentimes, see, it doesn't matter how old you are physically when you get saved, what are you? A babe in Christ, are you not? And so spiritually speaking, could I ask you a question? What are you going to be when you grow up? Are, are you going to grow up? And uh, the point that we're looking at here is a story of a young girl, maybe 12, 13 years old at the very most, uh, her circumstances. Well, let's just read the story here. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Now, why had the Lord given deliverance unto Syria? Because of the sins of the people of Israel. But Naaman was the man that made that happen. He was an effective general. He was a field commander. He was what we might say the chief of staffs or general of the army today. The Bible says he was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him out of his leprosy. Now, of his leprosy, I'm sorry. Uh, you just listen to the story here. 
the Syrians had sent roving bands of guerrilla in to attack undefended cities in the land of Israel. And on one of those raids, they had grabbed up this little girl. Uh, and and I, I'm sorry, well, all the 12-year-olds and under are downstairs, so they don't need to be offended about being called little children. Uh, but the simple truth is, how much life have you lived at 12 years old? Not much. And here she was, snatched, kidnapped, what, uh, stolen, whatever uh, word you want to use, captured. And, and as the rules of warfare were, she was property to be distributed. And Naaman ended up with this prize, and he made her a servant of his wife. Now, I'd like you to stop and just think about the plight of this young lady here. This is something that we know very, very little about in the United States. Praise the Lord. Uh, There are things that go on in human trafficking and things that are very terrible. Uh, But this little girl was taken from her family, from her society, from the people she knew, put in a land where they didn't speak the same language, where everything was different. But isn't it interesting that as she is paying attention to what's going on, she still cares about the same people that had caused all of her problems. Does that not sound uniquely biblical? Hello? I mean, you don't find this anywhere else in any other religion. Where you are to love your enemies and care about them that hurt you. And and yet we have this young girl here. We don't know. Maybe her parents had been killed. She would never see them again. She would never be part of Israel. She would never grow up and have what we would call a normal life. And yet, as she is in the household and hears the whispers and sees uh, her master, the lord of the house, Naaman, uh, it doesn't take much to figure out that something's desperately wrong. And when she learns that the disease is leprosy, this is not Israel. In Israel, a leper would be put out and have to live in a, uh, in banishment from normal society because leprosy was extremely contagious. The Syrians did not do any of these things. They had no rules. And so Naaman was still there in the house. And this little girl looks at her mistress, the lady that she is bound to serve and forced to be her ser- uh, uh, forced to be her servant. She says, "Oh, I just wish your master could know, know, your husband could be in Israel with the prophet that's there because he has the power to heal leprosy." Now, let me ask you a question: How many lepers had Elisha cleansed at this point? You just answered the question. None. 
In fact, it was Jesus who would say, there were many lepers in the day of Elisha the prophet, and there was none cleansed save one. And that's the man in our story. So where in the world did this young lady get this kind of faith? See our theme this year, except you be converted and become as little children. Amen. And we're to be followers of God as dear children. Our, our, our sermon today concerns a, a little child, a young girl whose place was, she was sold into slavery. She would uh, never, at, at this point in her life, we don't know what happened after Naaman was healed. One would wonder if he didn't give her her freedom and allow her to return to Israel. We, we don't know any of these things at this point. She had no hope of anything, and yet she still believed that the God of Israel was able to do anything. See, most of us don't have a problem with believing God can do anything. Amen? Uh, I mean, that's just no-brainer. You don't have to think. If God is God, He can do anything. Amen? The question is, will He do something for me? That's the question now, isn't it? And yet, this little girl had no problem with that. We, we spoke of in our Sunday school time that God is the creator. Amen? Okay, there we go. Uh, God made everything that is. And this young lady had enough faith to believe that the God of Israel could heal leprosy, even though Elisha had never healed a leper. That's some extraordinary faith, isn't it? But I want you to notice as we read on in this story. Look at verse 4. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. Does it say that Naaman's wife went in to Naaman and told him? No. It says, and one went in. And that one is in italics. It's not even in the text. It's just kind of, uh, it has to be added. Those words in italics have to be added for us to understand. But this person had no name. Probably one of the other servants in the house heard this little girl talking. Now, I want to challenge you here that... This little girl had faith, but how much respect, how much faith did this one, whose name's not even given, that went in, do you, do you realize what, Syria was not a nice place to live right now. And, and as a servant, your life was purely at the whim and fancy of your master, a master in these days, had the power of life and death. Now, you went in and told the master of the house that he could be healed from his leprosy and it didn't happen. Uh, really bad things could happen to you. In, in fact, we have stories from history 
uh, of people being killed for telling bad jokes in the presence of the king. Uh, uh, I guess that's why we do it all through television and the Internet today is so you can't uh, reach out and touch someone for telling a bad joke. There's lots of them out there, I'm sure. But Naaman listens. Now, to me, that's the most amazing thing because we take out little gospel tracts with the message of Jesus and salvation. How many people take them? So this is just from the Bible. And it's like, I don't need that. I'm fine. I, I got my own religion. I don't want... Religion's the problem. I mean, everybody's got their own little excuse as to why not. But Naaman didn't do that. Here comes a servant says, you got a little girl that's taking care of your wife out of the land of Israel. And she says, there's a prophet in Israel that can recover you from leprosy. Apparently, Naaman had a talk with her, and she assured him that the prophet in Israel and the God of Israel was so much greater than all the gods of Syria and all the doctors of Syria and everything that everybody knew. No one was recovering from leprosy. In fact, Jesus' testimony was Naaman was the only one in this time period, in this area of the world, that did recover from leprosy at this time. So this is a huge exception to the rule. Are are we all together? We have one little girl that makes a statement. How many of you would believe a 12-year-old girl to tell you you could be healed from an incurable disease after the doctor's already told you there's no hope? How many of you would believe it? Don't put me down on that list. My faith isn't that strong. I'd say, I want to see some evidence. But it gets even more crazy, doesn't it? Now, let's look here. And the king of Syria said, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. So, He's taking 750 pounds of of silver, about 150 pounds of gold, 10 changes of raiment. Now, I want you to stop and understand that the average person in this day, do you know how many changes of raiment they had? Uh... The closets of clothes were not even known in the palaces of the kings in these days. That's why it was such a, a, a sign of, of terror and sorrow when someone would rend their clothes because new ones had to be made before they could reappear in public. And uh, here we have... Naaman going to the king and says, this little servant girl that's in my house says there's a prophet in Israel that can recover me of my leprosy. And the king of Syria believes him. And he writes a letter and he gives him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of raiment, which 
Arguably, understandably, the king of Syria didn't have ten changes of raiment. You see, this is the way all of the pagan gods have always worked. And it's still the seed of false religion. How many of you used to go to a religion where money was the central issue? As long as you had enough of it, anything could be done. Uh, that's, that's a terrifying prospect, is it not? But how many of you would be willing to lay out, I mean, do the math, 750 pounds of silver at $40 an ounce, and there's 13 ounces in each one of those pounds? Uh, I mean... 150 pounds of gold at $1,400 an ounce. I mean, this was not a fortune. This was ten times a fortune. This, this was beyond the power of anything but the king of an entire nation to have all of this in his possession. And the king of Syria sends this with a letter to the king of Israel because he believes that if such a prophet exists, and he believes he exists because the little girl said so, that certainly the king of Israel would be very close to this kind of prophet with this kind of power. That he would believe him and that he would be uh, working with that prophet. So he sends him and now here's what happens. Let's finish the story here. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therefore sent Naaman my servant to thee that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Now, the, the king of Syria says, here's my servant. Here's the one that has destroyed your country and gotten victory over your people. And I want you to recover him from his leprosy. Uh, and what he didn't say was, a little girl told me there's a prophet in the land of Israel that has the power to do this. And we've read the story and we know that she was absolutely right on. Correct? Even though Naaman, I mean, even though Elisha had never recovered a leper to this point, and as far as we know, he'd never recovered another leper, uh, she had faith in God. Verse 7 And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he sinketh a quarrel against me. And so the king of Israel reads this letter, and he just goes, he's having a breakdown. And he rends his clothes. There's ten changes of garments on the, on the wagon out there, but the king of Israel doesn't get any. And he's throwing a hissy fit or what temper tantrum or whatever. He's just trying to irritate us and goad us into a war. In verse 8, And it was so when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent unto the king and said, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? 
Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, how many of you know who this king was? This was the son of Ahab. Ahab wasn't a nice guy. And his sons weren't men who loved God either. And they were on the throne for several generations. Now we have the prophet of God hearing through all the the grapevine. I mean, bad news travels fast, does it not? And he sends a messenger back to the king of Israel and he says, let him come to me. He said, he'll know that there is a prophet in Israel. And even though the king of Israel had no faith in the God of Israel, did not believe that such a thing could even be done, that little girl did. Verse 9, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. So, Naaman shows up at Elisha's door. And there come the horsemen and surround the house. I mean, here was the captain of the host of Syria in a foreign land. He didn't know if this was a trap or not. And these men were armed, and they were there to protect the captain of the guard, and and so you can just imagine the entourage is there and the whole little village is just going, wow, what's happening? Are we all going to be killed? And soon uh, uh, Naaman gets down out of the chariot. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in Washington, D.C. Or, or places like that, but uh, you can feel these general guys with all the ribbons on their ch- I mean, you can feel them walking in the hall. How many know what I'm talking about? I mean, they just, they just have a presence. I mean, they don't just show up unnoticed. And I'll tell you, Naaman was one of these guys. He was a mighty man of valor. And everybody was looking. And he comes down. The door opens up. And it's Elisha's servant. Oh, yes. Uh, Elisha the prophet says, Go wash seven times in the Jordan River and your flesh will come back again as new. Good day. Click. And you see, one of the things that always is a key to false religion, money. Do you know what the other one is? Pride. Do you know why these Buddhists and uh, Hindus walk on fire and uh, don't eat for 16 years and don't talk for 30 years and all, all of those things that they, crazy things that they do. And they are, humanly speaking, incredibly comp, incredible accomplishments. How do they do all this stuff? So they can say, look at me. Look what I have done. By the way, you turn on TBN. Look at all the people that I have healed. And all of the things that I have done. That's why I need a brand new jet to take me around every place. Uh, I can't remember. Wasn't that Creflo? I won another dollar that said that needed a new airplane. uh, Because he's so important that he can't drive anywhere. Uh, I'll tell you. 
false religion. Money and pride. You'll find it everywhere there is false religion. Naaman was so full of it. You see, God had more business with Naaman than just his leprosy. Can we say amen? And God is always seeking humility. God is always seeking weakness, not strength. You know, we've had many, many people come through the doors of our church over the years. And it always makes makes me nervous as a pastor when someone comes in. Well, you know, I did this and I did that. and And I'm going, well, they're not going to be around here very long. And almost without exception, you know, I just don't feel like my talents are being used. Well, God doesn't want your talents. He wants your heart. Paul said, speaking for God, my strength is made perfect in what? The Philadelphia church, he said, for thou hast what? A little strength. You know, God is not looking for great ability. He's not looking for great wisdom, great strength. Naaman, it tells us, was wroth. In verse 11, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he surely will come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place to recover and recover the leper. He said, man, I thought he's going to at least make a little show of this thing. If this is something great, how many of you understand the point that healing Naaman's leprosy, with, though it was an event without precedent, was nothing to God. Was not even a display of God's power when we're talking about God. God spoke. And the sun came into being, along with all the planets. And I didn't talk about this in Sunday school. But, you know, we measure our universe in light years. The amount of distance that it takes light to travel in a year, traveling at 186,000 miles per second. So, you multiply 186,000 times 60, that gives you a minute. Times 60, that gives you an hour. Times 24, that gives you uh, a day. Times 365 and a quarter, that gives you the the distance that light travels in one year. And, And we're talking about billions of light years across our universe. Now, if... God waited until all that light came here and traveled all that distance in our universe would be billions of years old now, wouldn't it? But God said, let there be lights in heaven. They could see the stars on the day of creation. God didn't have to wait 13 billion years for the light to come. He, when he created it, the light was already here. That'll mess with your mind. And so we have Naaman 
And, of course, this brings us to the third thing in false religion, doesn't it? Money, pride, and putting on a show. It's amazing to me that these televangelists can't heal anybody without at least one TV camera in the place. Uh, uh, there's, there's got to be an offering plate and a TV camera. The Spirit of God just isn't moving. Uh, and that's not the Spirit of the God of the Bible, by the way. And so then he comes here to verse 12. Are not Arbana, Abana, I'm sorry, and, and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And then we get to the fourth point of false religion. Everything's compared to each other. You see, everything is put on an equal plane. All religions are the same. You know, all the roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. All the roads lead to hell. Except one. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't it amazing how every point of false religion is brought out in this little story? And we have the faith of a 12-year-old girl that changes the course of all history, that influences governments. The king of Syria is paying attention and withdrawing from the national treasury 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 changes of raiment, so that on the word of a 12-year-old girl, do you think you get that done today in the United States? Uh, I don't think so. I would hope not anyway, Right? And yet they believed and had faith in the king of Israel. He knew who Elisha was. Elijah, Elisha's teacher, his predecessor, was the thorn in the flesh of Ahab. I mean, they, they, he knew who this guy was, but he didn't believe he was real at all. I'm sure he heard about the story of the fire on Mount Carmel and killing all the prophets of Baal and how... Jezebel had been killed and, well, she, she was still around at this point. Sorry. Uh, that was coming. And, uh, so Naaman compares religions. He's not going to give up his pride until his servants come. And verse 13, and his servants came near and spake unto him, saying, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? Pride. How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Those same servants, I don't know. I have a feeling it was the one that had told him what the little girl had said was here. What do you think? I don't think I'm stretching too far to put that in there. He said, listen. The prophet didn't say, wash in water. He said, wash in the Jordan. That's here. Uh, if the prophet had, had appealed to your pride and said to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How about appealing to your humility and doing some simple thing like taking a bath seven times? Putting yourself in the water. And so Naaman does. Now look what happens. Verse 14, then went he down and dipped himself seven times in, the, in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, 
And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, we, the miracle, leprosy was a death sentence. And it was one of the most horrible ways to die. We don't know where Naaman's leprosy was. Chances are it was in his hands. That's where it usually started. Hands or your nose. Anything that was ears. Anything sticking out from the body where there's reduced circulation. The leprosy get in. And, and the, I won't go through all the horrible details. But you could only hide leprosy so long. The stench would be enough to, in and of itself to betray you when you walked in the house. Let alone into a closed room. And, and Naaman here was desperate. He was going to die. And this little girl gives testimony of a prophet. He goes to the king of uh, Samaria, convinces the king of Samaria to take a withdrawal from the national treasury to go to the king uh, of, of Israel. And the king of Syria even does it better and writes a letter based on the testimony of a 12-year-old girl. And Naaman gets there and his pride is offended. And then maybe he realizes that with the help of his servants, that maybe right now is not a good time to be proud. And God heals him. The only leper in this time period, in this area, that was healed by God is Naaman right here. He's the only one. He comes up that seventh time, and his fingers are all there. And they're not even sore and stiff. It says his skin was like the skin of a little child. And he understands something. There is a God in Israel. That the gods of Syria aren't like this God. And so he goes back to the prophet's house and he offers him the treasure. Not trying to pay for something that was done, but trying to, out of a grateful heart, give back to the man who gave him his life. I mean, 750 pounds of silver will not buy you one second of life. And and Elisha is trying to help Naaman understand the true God of this world. He doesn't need your money. Now, we take an offering... But that's part of our worship to God. We do not pay God for saving us. We give God back a portion of the blessings that he's blessed blessed us with to worship him. But see, this wasn't a time for that. This was a time of teaching so that Naaman could understand the God of the Bible does not deal in pride, does not deal in money, does not deal in showmanship and does not deal in strength. He deals in humility. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. All of these things are what Jesus was looking for. Now, how many of you know what happens in the end of the chapter? 
I saw one hand go up. Elisha's servant Gehazi said, Hey, if my master isn't going to take a little bit of that, I'm going to get some. Do you get how empty and shallow this Gehazi guy was? He was going to take advantage. I mean, what would have happened if Naaman had truly understood everything there was to understand about the God of Israel? Do you think he would keep fighting them? There was an opportunity for great things to happen, but Gehazi decided he was going to get some profit here. And he went and lied and got some money. And he came back and he had hid it in the safety deposit box there at the tower. And everything was cool and walks in and Elisha says, where have you been? Oh, nowhere. Nothing. Just just enjoying the weather. And he leaves the presence of Elisha, a leper. Now, this is important. It says, white as snow. Now, what that meant was that... Gehazi was clean. He still could participate in society, but everywhere he would go, he would have, he, he would look like a snowman. He would have white, scaly flesh for the rest of his life. That's where, that's the best thing that could happen to you if leprosy had run its course. You, you would be like a, uh, semi-shaggy dog for the rest of your life. Everywhere you went, your skin would peel and flake and, but you wouldn't have open sores and, and wounds and you could actually live among the people and you would read Rev, uh, Leviticus chapter 13. It goes through all of those rules. Gehazi would not be cut off from Israel, but everybody that looked at him would go, oh my, what happened to you? And uh, he got his reward, didn't he? Now I want us to take just a few minutes here and think about this. We have the legacy of a little maid. I want to ask you a question. Can your faith affect the lives of others? According to this story, it certainly can. Amen? Now, aren't you glad that the little girl didn't wait until she grew up to tell Naaman about the prophet in Israel, because he'd already been dead. You know, sometimes we want to wait until we reach a certain level of spiritual maturity or something we think. You know, God wants to use you where you are right now. And it is really sad in this story that the unsaved king of Syria took faith more seriously than the supposedly God-believing son of Israel, king of Israel. That the little girl had more faith than Elisha's own servant Gehazi, who in this whole thing, only saw an opportunity for personal enrichment. 
You see, if we're going to have that childlike faith, we've got to stop seeking everything except Jesus. Amen? We just need to understand. Can God do anything? Absolutely. The question is, will he do something in my life? Well, the answer is, my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Second Corinthians. The answer is, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He tells us to rejoice about being poor in spirit, to be poverty-stricken in our spiritual realm, because then we must fully depend upon God. Does that not sound like the faith of a little girl? Doesn't it sound like a good way to pattern our faith? Instead of believing in all the things of the world and trying to rely on our own effort and our own ability... Let me tell you, that's how you get saved. Number one, you have to believe that God can save you. That Jesus Christ did everything necessary for your salvation on the cross. That he died, he rose again, and then you have to ask him to save you. That's all there is to being saved, to being born again in the Bible way. You know what? If you want to live the Bible way, All you have to do is give up on yourself and trust God and be obedient to the things that you can do. You don't have to wait till you grow up to serve God. You need to serve Him right now. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we think of the story of this little girl. She was taken from her home, her family, everything she knew and loved. She was not able to participate at all in the worship of the true God. And yet, Lord, we have every right to believe that she is going to be on the proper side of eternity and that we'll meet her someday in heaven. But, Lord, we ask that you would help us to emulate her faith understand that God is capable. And Lord, we can trust you with everything in our lives. We ask you to do your work during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have Leland come and lead us in the song of invitation. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open.